Hi everyone, welcome to Heal NPD. My name is Dr. Mark Eatonson. I'm a licensed psychologist specializing in the treatment of pathological narcissism and related issues. And I'm also author of the book, Unmasking Narcissism, a guide to understanding the narcissist in your life. The book's a hands-on guide to understanding the psychology of narcissism from a compassionate perspective, uh, and it's available at major book retailers. I'll put a link down in the description. So a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine asked me to do an episode on malignant narcissism. And I think you see this term used a lot on the internet, uh, but it's often used incorrectly. Uh, to some, malignant narcissism simply emphasizes uh, what the person already understands narcissism to be. It's like saying hot fire or tall mountain. Uh, while others seem to use the term to refer to a kind of narcissism that's just really severe like uh, narcissism turned up to an 11 on the severity dial. Um, to them, uh, malignant narcissism is like catching a bad cold. It's still essentially a cold, it's just a really bad case of it. But neither of those ways of using the term uh, are correct. So let's get into the concept of malignant narcissism, what it is, what it isn't, and also what experts in the field actually mean when they use this term. But first, I think it's worth a very brief discussion of the history behind the term. Malignant narcissism was first coined in 1964 by a German social psychologist, psychoanalyst, and philosopher, Erich Fromm. Erich Fromm was a Holocaust survivor. He fled Germany during the rise of the Nazi regime. And like many psychologists and philosophers of his time, the events of World War II had a profound impact on him. His concept of malignant narcissism was actually his attempt to understand the psychology behind the toxic ambition and evil uh, exhibited by dictators and tyrants like Adolf Hitler. Frum wrote that, in his opinion, malignant narcissism was the quintessence of human evil. And after Frum, not much was done with the concept for about 20 years until Otto Kernberg, who's a prominent theorist on the topic of narcissism, revived the term in his 1984 book titled Severe Personality Disorders. His model really shaped our understanding of malignant narcissism as a clinical construct that isn't explicitly anchored in subjective notions of good and evil. In this presentation, I will mainly be drawing from Kernberg's model because it's by far the more influential when it comes to clinical work. So according to Kernberg, malignant narcissism has two proper meanings. The first is as a discrete type of personality disorder that involves a combination of grandiose NPD and antisocial personality traits. The second use is less common, uh, and it refers to a phase or episode in narcissistic pathology in which grandiose defenses that are suffused with strong, primitive aggression come to the surface and get enacted in relationships, typically the therapy relationship. So first, let's talk about the more common use, and that's malignant narcissism as a type of personality disorder. Malignant narcissists function at or below the borderline level of personality organization. And if you want to know more about what that means, I did a podcast titled, Is it Vulnerable Narcissism or BPD? that goes into greater detail about borderline level personality organization. And I'll link to that in the description if you're watching this on YouTube. But basically, the word borderline here uh, doesn't mean borderline personality disorder. Instead, it refers to a range of personality functioning that involves moderate to severe psychopathology. Uh, BPD actually gets its name from this concept, not the other way around. 
Individuals in the borderline range of personality organization experience moderate to severe disturbances that create internal discontinuity, distortions of reality, and porous or blurred boundaries between the self and other people. And these disturbances involve classic borderline level defenses, um, like splitting, projection, projective identification, denial, ide uh, idealization and devaluation, and acting out. They also include classic deficits, like identity diffusion, feelings of emptiness, low distress tolerance, dysregulated mood, and other uh, so-called pan-neurotic symptoms that sort of run the gamut of moderate to severe psychopathology. As with any personality disorder, these disturbances often stem from early relational trauma that disrupts the development of realistic, integrated uh, internal models of self and others. So it's important to know that when we use the term malignant narcissism in this way, as a type of personality disorder, it's not the same thing as NPD. It's not simply a severe version of narcissism. It's actually its own distinct personality style, and it involves four essential elements. The first is a narcissistic personality core. The second is antisocial personality traits. The third is something called egocentonic sadism, and the fourth is paranoid thinking. So let's go through those. Uh, basically, uh, I, what I want to emphasize here first is that it differs in kind, not simply in degree, from uh, normal or regular NPD. Okay, so um, because of the narcissistic personality core, uh, malignant narcissists are typically arrogant, grandiose, envious, and preoccupied with fantasies of power, brilliance, beauty, and perfection. But they also have classical antisocial traits like lack of remorse, contempt or disregard of social conventions, and um, amorality. They have no problem lying, stealing, cheating, or taking advantage of other people in pursuit of their goals. Now, the term egosyntonic sadism means that there's sort of a perverse pleasure in causing harm, pain, or discomfort to other people. Some authors call this a conscious ideology of aggressive self-affirmation, in which the individual feels justified, or even in some ways elated, uh, to dehumanize others because they perceive them through a lens of envy or disdain. These individuals will typically project their unconscious feelings of weakness or frailty onto other people and then sort of punish those people uh, for those projected qualities. They boost their own sense of well-being, of being strong or powerful, at the expense of other people. Malignant narcissists also tend to have a paranoid mistrust of others, uh, and that's because they view them through a lens, uh, a categorical sort of lens, as either enemies or fools or idols. Um, in individuals with this type of pathology, the self is extremely damaged at a very early stage of development. The ability to recognize others as human beings with feelings of their own is actively uh, obliterated within the personality at an unconscious level. And instead, the individual's own needs, feelings, and impulses are projected onto everyone around them. They essentially live in a world that's populated only by their own projections because they're unable to sort of see anyone else as a separate center of subjective experience. So let's get into why this happens. And again, uh, th this is what I'm about to describe here is highly theoretical. 
But you know, you may be wondering why would some individuals develop the regular version of pathological narcissism while others develop malignant narcissism? So as I said earlier, uh, Otto Kernberg is one of the most prominent and influential theorists on the topic of NPD. He uses a theory called object relations, which is a psychoanalytic model of how we develop internal images of the self and of other people. And according to Kernberg, NPD is the result, and this is regular NPD now, it's the result of a pathological fusion between parts of the personality in defense against something called primitive aggression. Now the term primitive comes up quite often in psychoanalytic models of personality disorders. And although it may conjure up images of cavemen, uh, the term is actually referring to defenses and feelings that are thought to occur very early in infancy or childhood. Um, think prior to age two. Uh, and this is when feelings of rage, shame, dependency, or terror uh, cause the child's developing psyche to fragment on an almost daily basis. So to illustrate, uh, try to remember the last time you screamed or cried the way a baby does. For most adults, such anguish occurs very rarely because we've developed defenses to hold ourselves and our grip on reality together. Most adults don't completely fall apart outside of exceptional circumstances, but young children completely fall apart all the time when they don't get an ice cream cone or when they have a wet diaper, basically anytime something uncomfortable occurs. Now, psychologists use the term primitive to describe these experiences because they haven't been refined or moderated by more mature psychological defenses. Part of the psychopathology of personality disorders is that the individual has not developed reliable defenses to help mitigate these so-called primitive feelings and impulses. They distort reality, split off parts of the self, or project unwanted feelings and self-images onto others. And this is because of relational trauma that disrupted the development of more mature, realistic, and integrated images of the self and other people. Okay, so Kernberg wrote that NPD is the result of pathological fusion between parts of the personality in defense against primitive aggression. Essentially, the individual is defensively organized in such a way as to minimize dependency on unreliable, exploitative, or cruel caregivers who cause the child to experience chronic frustration and overwhelming aggression. Now remember, young children don't have mature defenses to keep things in perspective. When frustration and overwhelming anger occur on a frequent basis, the developing child is forced to sort of reorganize their internal world to protect their ability to rely on caregivers who are hurting them. Uh, so they create a self-structure that sort of short circuits dependency. And this self-structure is called a grandiose self. Kernberg writes, at this point, there is fusion of ideal self ideal object, and actual self-images as a defense against an intolerable reality in the interpersonal realm. In their fantasies, these patients identify themselves with their own ideal self-images in order to deny dependency on external objects. Basically, if you're already perfect, then you don't need anything. And if you don't need anything, then you're not subject to the overwhelming primitive anger and aggression that comes up when your needs are being actively and chronically denied um, by caregivers. So Kernberg is saying that the child fuses together their ideal self-image, 
their fantasy of an ideal or perfect caregiver, and their actual self-image, their sense of who they really are, into a pathological, grandiose self. He writes, it's as if they were saying, I don't need to fear that I will be rejected. That ideal person and my ideal image of that person and my real self are all one, and I don't need anyone else anymore. Dependency needs and associated feelings that threaten the grandiose self are split off and repressed by the child uh, to become self-sufficient. And that's because depending on their caregivers to meet their emotional needs is too dangerous. At this point, feelings of inadequacy, of rage, of dependency, and of primitive anger or aggression, they're split off and they're driven down into the unconscious. Kernberg writes, at the bottom, lies a still deeper image of the relationship with external objects. It's the image of a hungry, enraged, empty self, full of anger and fearful of a world that seems as hateful and revengeful as the patient himself. So to summarize, in Kernberg's model of regular NPD, the child rearranges parts of the self in order to defend against overwhelming anger and primitive aggression. They figure out a way to, in fantasy, become self-sufficient and, quote, perfect in order to keep their world from being overrun by feelings of hate for the very people they're supposed to love and on whom they're forced to depend. Now, the key here is that the grandiose self is created to protect the child and their caregivers from the child's own overwhelming anger and aggression. And this is where malignant narcissism is different. In malignant narcissism, the grandiose self becomes overrun by the primitive aggression it is created to defend against. The, the aggression becomes a part of the egocentric experience of self. It isn't disowned, repressed, or split off. Krenberg writes that, in contrast to ordinary narcissistic personality, these patients, malignant narcissists, experienced increased self-esteem and confirmation of the grandiosity when they can express aggression toward themselves or other people. And he speculates that there are four factors that are typically present in the early childhood of malignant narcissists. First, they experience caregivers as both omnipotent and sadistic or cruel. There's no psychic escape from the omnipotent and cruel caregiver who dominates all aspects of the child's early experience. Second, the ever-presence of the cruel, or in other words, sadistic and omnipotent caregiver creates a sense in the developing child that having good, loving, or mutually gratifying relationships is impossible. Third, the child develops a sense that total submission to the cruel caregiver is the only condition for survival. They essentially abandon the search for good objects in relationships, instead allowing their developing sense of self to be overrun by identifications with the sadistic caregiver, who becomes a part of the child's personality in the form of something called an introject. And fourth, once this identification with the sadistic or cruel caregiver is complete, a sense of power and freedom from pain, fear, or dread is experienced by the child. The child has become the cruel object that was formerly feared, and therefore there's no more need for fear. So in Kernberg's model, 
malignant narcissists are forced to make a compromise very early in their psychological development. In the face of a powerful and sadistic caregiver, the child abandons the search for good objects, and a grandiose self is formed, just like in regular narcissism. But unlike in regular narcissism, that self-structure becomes fused with identifications with the sadistic caregiver. The malignant narcissist wins freedom through submission, allowing the expression of anger, hate, cruelty, and, and aggression to become the dominant mode through which connection with other people is achieved. The grandiose self of malignant narcissists is propped up by aggression. It collapses in the absence of it. Attempts to reach the vulnerable parts of the individual are actually experienced by the individual as a direct assault on the person's core sense of self, and they're met with immediate cruelty uh, that also serves to prop up the grandiose self through identifications with the sadistic object uh, or caregiver. And this is why sadism in malignant narcissism is egocentric, or experienced as sort of in alignment with the self. And it's also why paranoia is often present. The individual grew up experiencing constant attacks by the person or people who were supposed to care for them. The antisocial aspects of malignant narcissism, like lack of remorse, uh, are due to the person's denial of their own humanity and vulnerability. You know, how can they recognize in other people what they've sort of abandoned or refuse, or refuse to recognize in themselves? So to illustrate how this personality type might look, um, the evil queen from Snow White uh, or the evil stepmother from Cinderella provide good, if exaggerated, prototypical examples. These characters are aloof, they're cold, arrogant, and they're obsessed with power and vanity. They attempt to humiliate, psychologically destroy, or even kill those around them in pursuit of their own self-aggrandizement, and they experience no remorse in the process. They inhabit a psychological landscape that's split into that which is theirs and therefore perfect, and that which threatens their status and must therefore be destroyed. Okay. So that was the first use of the term malignant narcissism, according to Otto Kernberg, as a separate personality disorder that involves aspects of narcissism, antisocial behavior, egocentric sadism, and paranoia. The second use of the term is much less common. So in addition to malignant narcissists as a, a type of personality disorder, Kernberg also recognized that periods of malignant narcissism may be encountered in the treatment of regular NPD, and that's due to the difficulty of resolving the pathological grandiose self. Now remember, in Kernberg's model, the grandiose self is a fusion um, of the ideal self, ideal uh, images of others, and the actual self. And part of the work of treatment is to kind of defuse this structure which then exposes the patient to the repressed and split off rage, anger, shame, and aggression that the grandiose self was created to defend against in the first place. As these defenses start to loosen, the patient may also be exposed to underlying identifications with cruel or sadistic objects, internalized images of caregivers that have become a part of the personality at an unconscious level. And when these identifications are threatened by the therapist's kindness, positive regard, or sensitivity to the patient's feelings, the patient may begin to psychologically attack the therapist. And it seems paradoxical that this would happen, but you have to remember that um, the therapist is, is disrupting the status quo. 
The therapist is awakening long repressed dependency longings within the patient and associated primitive anger and aggression at never having had those, those emotional needs met in the first place. The personality sometimes rallies in defense of the patient, deploying the same tactics that were used against the patient when they were very young. Warmth is met with coldness. Sensitivity is met with cruelty, and positive regard is met with derision or devaluation. These so-called malignancies uh, are the product of an unconscious identification with the cruel or sadistic caregiver, and they have to be worked through patiently in the therapy in order to help the patient let go of those defenses and open the door to new possibilities. So I guess the take-home point here would be that malignant narcissism is not the same thing as regular NPD. Most of our media representations of NPD are actually of malignant narcissists, which is why they seem so scary. Uh, malignant narcissism is actually very challenging to treat, and that's due to the antisocial, sadistic, and paranoid components that are present. Uh, malignant narcissists also rarely enter treatment voluntarily, um, while people with uh, sort of regular pathological narcissism and NPD um, periodically or chronically experience a collapse of their grandiose defenses and they kind of fall into a vulnerable expression of the disorder. Malignant narcissists don't collapse in the same way. They actively defend against such collapse by externalizing any feelings of weakness or vulnerability and then behaving cruelly toward other people. Um, sadistic or cruel treatment of others in malignant narcissism provides a feeling of freedom from pain, fear, or distress. And, and this is a very difficult defense to modify in treatment. Treatment um, of patients of this sort should probably focus more on harm reduction and helping the patient to find more adaptive ways of coping rather than attempting to modify underlying personality structures. So if you're listening to this and identify with some of these descriptions of malignant narcissism, remember that I'm describing a theoretical construct here and that such constructs necessarily collapse you know, complex dynamics into simplified models for the purpose of explanation. Each of us is far more complex than any label or diagnosis. But if you do feel that some of these descriptions match your experience of yourself, then take it seriously. Seek out treatment with a qualified mental health professional. Uh, none of us is responsible for the events that shaped our personality, but we are responsible for what we do about it. The better you come to know yourself, the more empowered you become to make better decisions. Okay, so that's it for today. As always, leave comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes down below. And until next time, take good care.